0: The key is to really think back on when did your fatigue start? What was going on at that time? So let's go through the top things that affect your mitochondria and the things that I see causing fatigue in my patients every day. Welcome to
1: Take Back Your Health, the podcast that empowers you to take control of your health. Your host, Dr. Richard Huntsman, is a chiropractic physician with a master's degree in nutrition and functional medicine. He has been helping patients in his clinic for years and is now ready to share what he has learned with you sharing information to help you take control of your health and live your best life let's get started here is your host dr richard huntsman
0: welcome back to take back your health a podcast that empowers you to take control of your health and well-being naturally i am your host dr richard huntsman a chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. Today, we're going to be discussing a topic that affects millions of people around the world, chronic fatigue. So the first question with fatigue that we try to answer as clinicians is, what is causing it? First, we look at the cell level. Each cell contains mitochondria, which produce energy in the form of ATP. Now, when someone is chronically fatigued and tired, we know that this energy production is not doing its job. It may not be doing its job because there aren't enough mitochondria. It may not be doing its job because something is disrupting the mitochondria function. Or maybe the mitochondria aren't getting what they need in the form of glucose and oxygen to produce energy. The key is to really think back on when did your fatigue start? What was going on at that time? So let's go through the top things that affect your mitochondria and the things that I see causing fatigue in my patients every day. Number one, medication side effects. Now, if you look at the side effects of medications, almost every medication will have fatigue listed as a possible side effect. Many of these medications have fatigue as a side effect because they affect your central nervous system. Uh, This can cause drowsiness, feelings of lethargy, and just overall feelings of, I don't have the energy to do what I want to do. Some medications also affect uh, the levels of certain neurotransmitters in the brain, That regulate your sleep and your ability to be awake. Some medications are more likely to cause fatigue than others. For example, antidepressants, antihistamines, opioid medications. Those are kind of the most common ones known to cause fatigue. Um, But other ones would be your blood pressure medications, like beta blockers, because they're decreasing blood flow and oxygen to the brain and the muscles, so fatigue will often be a side effect of those as well. Now, I'm not telling anyone to go off their medication, but if fatigue started around the same time as a new medication, talk to your doctor about other options for you. If maybe there's a different medication we can switch to, or better yet, a natural thing we can do to help that condition so that we can avoid the negative side effects of those medications. Number two, let's talk about stress. Now, our lives are seemingly full of never-ending stress, and it seems to get more stressful by the day. When we get overstressed, our body kicks in the fight-or-flight response. This triggers the release of several hormones, especially adrenaline and cortisol. These two hormones help our body respond to threats. So if they are high, our brain is assuming that we are in a threatening situation right now. Now, this response is helpful like if we're running from a bear or you know short bursts when we need it, but chronic stress leads to an overactive stress response and prolonged exposure to these hormones, which can contribute to feelings of fatigue and exhaustion. If your fight or flight is always turned on, you cannot effectively rest. Okay, so stress also can disrupt our sleep. And you know, when we are stressed, our body's in that state of heightened stimulation. It makes it difficult to relax. It makes it difficult to calm our brains down at night to get those thoughts stopped so that we can fall asleep and stay asleep. Chronic stress is one of the leading causes of insomnia. People that can't fall asleep and people who are waking up every hour throughout the night, often it's stress. So there are many ways that that we can deal with stress. Like I said, it's never gonna go away. I always tell my patients, stress doesn't go away, it just changes forms. Now, if there's something particularly stressful in our life that we can remove, say we have an activity that we're volunteering for, or maybe a stressful marriage situation that we need to work on. Those are the type of things we need to look at to try to reduce stress levels. And in the meantime, we work on ourselves to make ourselves more stress resilient. Stress resilient means that our body is able to handle the things that come our way. And things we can do to work on that would be, you know, things we're going to talk about coming up, but also, you know, yoga, meditation, deep breathing. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Wim Hof breathing exercises, um, walks in nature, just taking a five minute walk outside can really decrease your stress levels, get that cortisol back to a normal level so that you're not in that fight or flight state constantly. Next, let's talk about sleep problems. Now, this is obvious, right? If, if you're not sleeping well, you expect to be fatigued. Everyone needs to get a minimum of seven to eight hours of sleep. That's not always the easiest thing to do. Now, I have a child right now who struggles with sleep, so me and my wife are up some nights every hour throughout the night. And so, yeah, we're tired on those days. (laughs) I feel like I need a nap often during my lunch. I'll try to sneak in a 20, 30 minute nap just to try to get through the day. Um, There's even times where I will have to rely on some caffeine. Uh, I try not to use it too often, but sometimes that's what you got to do. Many people struggle to fall asleep, many people struggle to stay asleep. Now, in the future, I'll probably do a whole episode on sleep. If that's something you'd like me to do, let me know. Uh, But here are a few key things you can look at to start fixing your sleep. First thing I want to talk about with sleep is blood sugar. Now, this isn't one that gets talked about a lot, but it's one that I see very, very commonly. Oftentimes, when people are waking up in the middle of night, it's because their blood sugar is dropping. When your blood sugar gets too low, your fight or flight gets stimulated and you produce that adrenaline and cortisol again. So these are the type of people that are waking up, you know, they wake up bolt upright in the middle of the night or they wake up and their heart is racing and they kind of feel like they're in a panic. That's that adrenaline kicking in. The The brain is basically saying, I'm going into a coma. I need to st- wake up so that doesn't happen. The nice part with this is there's a simple way that that I use with people to test it what you can do is eat just a little, little bit of something with fat in it right before bed, you know, within 30 minutes of trying to go to sleep. Now that, you know, I often tell patients to, you know, use almond butter, peanut butter if they tolerate it, cheese if they tolerate it, something like that. You can even just use a little protein, um, a little piece of chicken or, you know, something along those lines. Now what that's going to do is if your blood sugar is dropping, if that's the problem, That fat or protein will help stabilize your blood sugar through the night so that you can stay asleep and not have these moments of panic in your brain and it thinking that you need to wake up. Um, I've had many people fix their sleep issues just by adding in just a little bit of of fat right before bed. Coconut oil is one that a lot of people use. You just take a tablespoon of it right before bed and it works really well. So if, if blood sugar is the cause, that's where I would start um, if if you're the type that's waking up kind of in a panic or your heart racing in the middle of the night. The other thing to look at with sleep is magnesium deficiency. Magnesium plays a key role in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of fight or flight. It controls our rest and our digest and helps the body to relax and prepare for sleep. Now, magnesium also helps regulate our sleep-wake cycle through its effects on melatonin melatonin is the hormone that helps put us to sleep now having too little magnesium can make it really hard to relax at night when you're trying to go to sleep Uh, it also can impact how restful our sleep is so if you're waking up you know feeling tired even when you've got like eight or nine hours of sleep and you're just like man why am I still so tired it could be that you're magnesium deficient so a lot of people will take magnesium at night and notice a big improvement on sleep magnesium comes in many forms. Um, I find the L3 innate form to be the most effective for relaxing and sleep. It is a little more expensive than others. I have some people who respond really well to citrate or gluconate. And I, I tend to use a blended form of magnesium, but just starting with, you know, a little bit, 150 to maybe 300 milligrams at night and see if that improves your sleep. If it does, you, you know, you may need to be getting some more magnesium. And there's, there's other things that can decrease magnesium um, inflammation and, and too much sugar, things like that. But magnesium is an easy one to try. The, the real only real risk of, of taking too much magnesium is it might give you some diarrhea. So, so watch for that. And if it is, just back off a little on your dose. Now, the last thing on sleep is, is the simplest but often the most ignored is give yourself enough time to get the amount of sleep you need. You know, that episode on Netflix, it'll still be there tomorrow. Just because it's the weekend, don't stay up super late, you know, if you don't have the time to sleep in the next day. You know, I, I never have time to sleep in. I've got four children, and they wake up early. My kids are pretty much all early risers, so I know if I stay up past midnight, I'm only going to get about five or six hours of sleep because my kids are going to be awake. So I try as best I can to make sure I'm in bed no later than 11. So I give myself that seven hours. It really does help to keep a consistent sleep pattern. So try as best you can to not let things slip on the weekends and just keep that same same time to bed, same time up every morning, and it'll really help your sleep. The next thing I want to talk about uh, with regards to fatigue is insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance is getting more and more heard about, which I am glad because it is one of the fastest-growing conditions in the world, and it is not talked about it enough. Um, it's also called pre-diabetes. So, if you've been told you have pre-diabetes, if you have diabetes, type two diabetes, then you have insulin resistance. Now, insulin is, resistance occurs when you're overeating processed junk carbohydrates. You know, pasta, bread, chips. Sugar, etc., these foods raise your blood sugar rapidly. Insulin is then produced to tell the body where the sugar should go. In the case of an overfed body, which most of us are, the sugar is stored as fat. First, it goes in the liver, but once the liver's full, it's deposited throughout the body, often on the belly for men, um, on the belly and hips, more often for women. Now, when our insulin levels are high for too long, your body can't get the glucose into the cells effectively for the mitochondria to produce fuel. So this leads to fatigue. Your body will produce more and more insulin to try to get the blood sugar down, and you'll have higher and higher insulin levels. Meanwhile, it's getting harder and harder for your mitochondria to do their job. Insulin resistance has been tied to most chronic diseases, not just fatigue. It's been tied to heart disease, strokes, cancer, you name it. Insulin resistance has probably been tied to it. So this is a crucial thing. It's something I check with all of my patients to see if this is something they're dealing with. Um, The nice part is, you know, you can run a blood test. You can do a fasting insulin test, and it's fairly cheap and easy to do. But there are some pretty reliable signs that indicate that you might be insulin resistant. Abdominal fat, high blood pressure high blood sugar, if you have dark patches of skin, skin tags, if your HDL cholesterol is low, or if you have high triglycerides. If you have one or more of those, you're likely insulin resistant. Now, if you have like three, four, five of those, then yeah, I would say you have insulin resistance and we need to work on it. Now, in the future, I will do an episode about insulin resistance, but the best ways to work on it, are a keto slash low-carb diet, fasting regularly, and getting regular exercise. That's what it takes. The nice part with insulin resistance is it can be reversed in most cases. And it can be reversed fairly quickly. Like We'll see insulin levels go back to normal within days in some people. Uh, And their blood sugar levels will normalize within a couple weeks often if they're doing the right things. Okay so so insulin resistance is always one to look at and like I said it's it's affecting more and more people. It's it's estimated that 60 to 70% of American adults have it. Um worldwide the numbers roughly that as well, maybe a little lower worldwide, but it's a growing problem and and one that everyone needs to look at. Quickly let's talk about thyroid. Now thyroid is a whole can of worms. We could talk about it for days. But it is the one that is most commonly known uh, when people are dealing with fatigue. They always think, oh, I need to have my thyroid checked, which isn't wrong. Um, Thyroid hormones are needed for our metabolism, which, you know, is our ability for those mitochondria to produce energy. So if your thyroid hormones are low, now it can just be a case of needing some iodine or selenium or some of the other nutrients that the thyroid needs. It could be that your pituitary is not stimulating the thyroid well enough, uh, and that'll often happen because of inflammation or, again, nutrient deficiencies. But Most cases, if it's truly hypothyroid, are autoimmune. Uh, They're a condition called Hashimoto's. Now, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's are driven by inflammation. So the remedy to managing this is to manage inflammation you do this by eliminating inflammatory foods. First of all, grains, sugar, dairy for some people, uh, some vegetables for certain people will cause problems. Nightshades are commonly known, you know, your potatoes and tomatoes, peppers, things like that. They have a, a chemical in them called solanine, which, which can be triggering for autoimmune patients. Um, so we want to reduce those things in our diet to get that inflammation going down and we can supplement with, with herbs and and vitamins and nutrients that help with inflammation. Like vitamin D is really good at helping autoimmunity, magnesium. Uh, There's a whole list of others depending on what autoimmunity we're dealing with. But if your thyroid is low, make sure you get checked for Hashimoto's. A lot of times doctors don't check it. It is a simple, easy blood test that is fairly inexpensive and You know, if you have Hashimoto's, it kind of changes the picture of how we're going to treat your thyroid. Hashimoto's hypothyroidism is not a thyroid disease, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks the thyroid. So, we need to take the burden off of the immune system so that it's not in attack mode. So, speaking about the immune system, let's talk about stealth infections. This is one that I commonly see. Um, Now, what are stealth infections? Stealth infections are a type of chronic infection that can last in the body for long periods of time and often they won't have any obvious symptoms. They're difficult to diagnose because they may not show up on lab tests and they can mimic many, many other conditions. So examples of stealth infections, some you'll have heard of would be like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus or mono, strep is one that is not, talked about enough, especially in children, mycoplasma. Now, mycoplasma is a bacteria that primarily causes respiratory infections. I often see it causing rashes in people as well, and it has been linked to chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid, a whole host of things. Um, And then also candida overgrowth can be a big cause of fatigue and brain fog, of course, especially in women. So stealth, these stealth infections are, are hard to diagnose, so they're often overlooked or misdiagnosed. You know we need to get put on medications that aren't actually treating the cause, or we just continue to have more and more health problems because it's an infection. Treatment for these usually uh, is a combination of antimicrobial herbs and supplements. Uh, we support the immune system. Uh, One sign of of someone who's dealing with something like this would be they get extremely fatigued anytime they get a little infection. Maybe they get little fevers here and there without any other symptoms. So it's important to work with a healthcare practitioner that's familiar with these things. um, If you suspect you might have a stealth infection, um, because again, it's hard to diagnose um, and often often we just kind of have to throw darts at the wall and and hope we hit it because there really aren't reliable blood tests for a lot of these things. But the things you take are usually pretty broad spectrum, at at least the things I use in my clinic. And so we hit a lot of these all at once and, and have really good success with people that are dealing with these things. Mycoplasma is one that I see common um, I don't know why I see it so much in my area. I don't, we don't deal with lime quite as much uh, where I live, but it's still something that, that does show up occasionally. So the last thing that we want to talk about is diet. Most people are living on a terrible diet. And we all know that. If you look at the standard American diet, it's not food. It's high in refined carbohydrates, bad fats, low in quality protein, and we're basically an overfed, undernourished population. We have plenty of calories coming in, but we do not have many nutrients coming in. Most of those foods that you, you know, quote unquote foods that you see at the grocery store, it's not food. It's edible and often tastes really good, but the body barely even recognizes it the body does not know what to do with a can of soda that is straight sugar that is toxic to the liver right the body doesn't know what to do with a bag of doritos that's not food that doesn't have good nutrients and it's just straight carbohydrates raising our blood sugar affecting our insulin levels and affecting pretty much everything we've talked about so far so, many of the issues we've talked about up to this point can be fixed simply by eating better. And eating better doesn't have to be difficult, it doesn't have to be expensive. If we're not filling ourselves with junk food and we're just eating some good protein, getting moderate amounts of healthy fats such as butter, olive oil, coconut oil, things like that, and we reduce our carbs and just mainly get them from fruits and vegetables, you can fix most chronic diseases. Many, many of them are inflammatory-based, autoimmune-based, and the best way to work on those is, hey, let's start with the diet. Let's make sure we're giving our body what it needs to make the things it needs to make and to perform its functions how it's supposed to. So as you can see, fatigue can be caused by a whole range of issues, and if we only scratch the surface today of just the, the things I tend to see most common in my clinic. So if you're dealing with chronic fatigue, here are the first steps I would take. First would be to look at your medications. If you suspect one of them is the cause, talk to your doctor about possible alternatives. Next, I'd focus on your stress levels. Do what you can to decrease stress in your life. Use those techniques like yoga, meditation, breathe, deep breathing exercise, spend time in nature, Help your body deal with the stress that it's going to have. Okay, third, focus on getting the best sleep possible. Sleep in a dark, cool room. Give yourself plenty of time each night to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Uh, take magnesium if, if you feel like you need it. Like I said, I prefer the l 3 and 8 form for sleep. And if you're waking up in the middle of the night, look at those blood sugar issues we talked about and you know try eating a little fat before bed, a little protein before bed and see if that fixes it. On those blood sugar issues, the next thing, look at insulin. If you're insulin resistant, take the steps to reverse it. It is reversible. But if you let it continue on, it it can and often does become type 2 diabetes. Then it becomes harder to fix. So follow a low-carb keto-style diet. Fast regularly. I like to fast at least once a week, a 24-hour water fast. Uh, every month or two, I try to do a 72-hour fast. Not ever, not everyone needs to do that. Um, that's what seems to work best for me, but skip breakfast. Don't snack throughout the day. Uh, just keep those insulin levels low and exercise a few times a week. Resistance training is the best form. Seems to be the best form for insulin resistance, but any form of exercise is gonna be better than none. And you can start to turn those insulin levels around pretty quickly. Fifth thing, check your thyroid. If you already know you have a low thyroid, get checked for Hashimoto's. It's a simple blood test and it can help you be more mindful in your approach to managing your thyroid to know that, hey, this is more of an inflammatory-based things and take the proper steps to work on that. Six, look at the stealth infections. Have you been bitten by a tick? Did you have mono as a teen? Do you get random rashes, fevers, seem to have coughs, lung infections all the time? Those are all things to consider, and if you do, try to find a doctor who works on these things and is familiar with them so you can get to the root of it if if that might be your cause of your fatigue. Last thing, again, just clean up your diet. Get enough protein. Uh, For most people, that's about 0.7 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. Um, you know, for someone that's about my size, about 175, I try to eat about 140 grams of protein a day, uh, which can sound like a lot. And sometimes I, I don't always hit that, but when that's my goal, I, I always tend to get at least enough protein. Um, I eat your healthy fats, get rid of the junk carbs, stick with the fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, if, if you have some issues with certain vegetables, cut them out. Some vegetables do cause problems. um, but for the most part, those are the foods we should be sticking with. Now, the the last thing I want to tell you is, is what I have found to be the absolute best thing for chronic fatigue of any kind. Uh, And I've talked about it a couple of times already exercise. When you exercise more, your body makes more mitochondria, more mitochondria leads to more ATP and more energy in your entire system. Now, when you're dealing with fatigue, I know exercise can seem impossible. Start wherever you're at right now. If all you can do is go for a 10-minute walk, great. Do that every day. Then maybe you can build up to 15, 20, 30 minutes after a couple weeks. We just need to get moving. Maybe all you can manage to do mentally or physically is to do 10 push-ups. Great. Do 10 push-ups. Strength training is one of the best things for fatigue and insulin resistance and a whole host of other things. So I love push-ups, pull-ups, body weight squats, all these things that you can do at home that are easy and fast, they can make profound they can have profound effects on your fatigue. So start today, even a little bit will start to help. All right, that's it for this episode. I appreciate you turning in. If you found this information helpful, please share it with someone you feel might benefit from it. I want to get this out to as many people as we can. Also, if you have the time to leave a review, I'd really appreciate to hear what you think. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Rich Huntsman. Please message me anytime and let me know that you came from the podcast. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Take Back Your Health with Dr. Richard Huntsman. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The content presented here is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical question or before embarking on any new health program.